Trauma code to New York City, trauma code to WBAI. I am Dr. Simon Fitzgerald, a Brooklyn trauma surgeon and surgical intensivist. And I am Dr. Cassandra Raphael, an adult and child psychiatrist. Welcome to Trauma Code. Together we will focus on healing of mind, body, and community from trauma. We'll discuss how wellness fits into the culture at large. Join us on Monday at 2 p.m. on WBAI. For crime, hawk, who goes there? Yo, it's a squeeze of five fingers, puffing smoke in the bed. Johnny Black, like Darth Vader caps, they on stairs. While we rocking it, I rockin' it. Like a little ball inside the spray can. Providing three coats, four boats, child, woman, and man. God bless the guard, lady streets, wall of wall, it go. Touched by my fan who thought you brought harm, you see. I might out like a glass of tea. Better yet, oatmeal cookies. Not just rookies to me. Sliding up and down the court, but I don't think you can dig. Why try? Maceo been getting high since yeah. Luke was Luke Skywalk. Man, my topic of talk is shedding shame all Welcome over your game. Like this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald in studio for February 27th. Uh, and that was, uh, of course, De La Soul. Uh, I guess you pronounce the song "Ooh," um, uh, and uh, with featuring Redman, uh, and we're playing that today, of course, as a uh, tribute to the late True Goy. Was it Plug Two? David Jellicoe, uh one of the uh, original nerds of hip hop uh, from the De La Soul uh, group, um, and uh, you know, there's a lot that could be said about. Uh, True going de la soul. Uh, my friend uh, Nick, who's a chef of of uh, Creole cuisine, turned me on to them uh, when we were in middle school. But um, and I think other people could do it better than me. I think uh, Jay Smooth just had a nice ill doctrine radio that you should go out and check out with some excellent mu- music that I uh, lifted that little piece from. So hat tip to him. Um, but yeah, one of the original nerds of hip hop who could still hang out in the street. One of the uh, kind of founding members of the Native Tongues with Queen Latifah, Tribe Called Quest, Jungle Brothers, uh, early Black Sheep, uh, collaborated uh, with many of those artists as well as, you know, Prince Paul, Jay Dilla, Most Def, Gorillaz. Uh, really, uh, strangely underappreciated. And one of the big problems now with uh, their music, it was hard for me to, to find, purchase, and uh, download or stream a lot of their music because their samples weren't cleared correctly, unfortunately. The date that was set for the release of a lot of their catalog is March 3rd. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And, of course, now it's going to be a little bit too late uh, for uh, the late true goy, uh, David Jolikar, to uh, appreciate. Uh, but we have uh, an excellent show for you today. Our guest is going to be from Baltimore, from the Baltimore Ceasefire, the Baltimore Peace Movement, and Beats Not Bullets, an old-school hip-hop head from Baltimore uh, Ogu and Kevin Beasley. Uh, why don't we do one more musical interlude and we're going to get him on the air and talk about uh, hip hop and anti violence work uh, in Baltimore with uh, Ogun. Everybody talk with their hands. Get a nine to five. Most hustles revolve around grams. Live for the moment. We ain't working no plan. And the favorite saying is it is what it is. 
I mean the kids sit back and try to emulate us. The cops had to regroup, yeah, they ran out of cups. So now they string us up on some cowboy wild style. The saga continues, but meanwhile, grandma, she getting closer to death. Bobble in hand, eyes closed, clutching her chest. All the hate in the air make it harder to breathe. And all the cameras in the hood make it hard to believe. Little man riding that five and he died for his creed. Yeah, they grew up so quick, nobody clocking his speed. But it's just us, so just be more. And if you ain't feeling that, yeah, this song's for y'all, you heard me? What you know about Baltimore? What you know about Baltimore? Baltimore. What you know about Baltimore? What you know about Baltimore? Baltimore. What you know about Baltimore? What you know about Baltimore? Baltimore. What you know about Baltimore? What you know about Baltimore? Baltimore. Things have changed since back in the days. It's like we all stubborn. We all stuck in Welcome back to Trauma Code. Uh, and I don't know how much of that introduction that you heard, but that was a song by uh, Ogun, a hip-hop artist from Baltimore, and uh, one of the co-founders of Baltimore Ceasefire and Beats Not Bullets. Uh, Ogun, are you there? I am, I am. How you feeling, man? Excellent, man. Thank you for joining us. And first of all, I know you as Ogun. Um, I know uh, you go by Kevin Beasley and other uh, circumstances, but how should we call you? Ogun is perfect. All right. Um and uh, first of all, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that. Any, as someone who's been around the hip hop scene in Baltimore for a long time, any words of remembrance about True Goy De La Soul? Yeah, I mean De La Soul in general, but um, plug to all of, all of them are very talented, and they were like a major piece of my hip hop compass when it comes to the type of music that they make. So he definitely will be missed. He was a strong pioneer in this. And uh, and that song that we just played, at least part of, uh, hopefully I don't get the name wrong, it's called uh, What You Know About Baltimore, and that was from a collection of songs that I think appeared on The Wire, is that correct? Yeah, it appeared on The Wire, and then they did a soundtrack. Yep. Excellent. Anything else you want to say about that or any other uh, uh, music or your music experience before we pivot into some other topics? Um, so in general, I had a pretty good run um, when it comes to uh, being an artist. Um, in particular, I mean, it was it came out very dope. Um, it was a local producer. Um, we did it on the fly because we had a real quick deadline. I think it came out very well. Um, so I definitely definitely one of my favorite songs that I've done to date. Excellent. And uh, as I mentioned, I know you from our work in uh, Baltimore ceasefire. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard the story said recently, and we're going to have Erica Bridgeford, one of the other founding members, on actually next week. So you don't necessarily have to tell every bit of it, but y you have really a founding um, role in that movement. Can you just say a couple of sentences about what um, Baltimore Ceasefire is to you and what uh, inspired it? Okay, so the short story would be <clears throat> I had the idea for some time before we actually um, came together to do it. Um, so as a teenager, I just remember when they would call ceasefires in the Middle East. And I remember it only it being the only time that I would check back. So meaning I would hear it on the news and then maybe the next day I would go back to see did something happen. And then I remember thinking to myself, why don't I care? Why does it seem like the only time I care is that they call a ceasefire? So that name just kind of stuck with me for a while. Then I was working in the jails doing a program, and they would call, the inmates actually, would call no stabbing weekends. 
And that stuck out to me. Like, okay, y'all literally are doing no stabbing weekends. Then I would come back, get some feedback on how I went. And most of the time it was pretty successful. Um, from there, years later, the idea was just at the tip of my tongue. I started telling people and I wasn't getting pretty good feedback. And then I met with Erica one day just off of a, me a community meeting, gave her the idea. She loved it. Some time went by again. We finally got back together. Um, kind of the rest is history. But the city kind of came together and, and agreed that the name would work. And we kind of just really started hitting the ground running. Um, and it's responsible for relationships like this. Like me and you having this relationship is a direct, um, like a direct effect of the ceasefire. Yeah, and, and I like to call that, um, I've started calling it spiritual infrastructure and really appreciating what uh, Erica and her collaboration with uh, kind of a whole generation of leadership in Baltimore that I didn't meet until that um, ceasefire was called. And I think I've talked about it on our show before. Um, and you're listening to Trauma Code on New York City, uh, on WBAI in New York City with uh, Ogun, uh, one of the founding members of the Baltimore Ceasefire Movement, now uh, uh, re-termed Baltimore Peace Movement. And we're going to get into that transition in a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, to me, what uh, that the ceasefire, um, you know, I, I took a part in it and just followed her lead and, and was present and did prayers when people were killed in the place where they were killed, returning to that space, um, amongst a lot of other kind of collaborations. Um but and uh, one of those collaborations was, uh, and you know, this a researcher from the University of Maryland uh, was able to look at those weekends that we called those ceasefires. It was quarterly ceasefires, right? Four times a year: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, seventy-two hours, um, and look at shooting data, uh, which is very time sensitive, and was able to show shootings decreased by fifty percent um, in the first two years of the Baltimore ceasefire. So. That's why I think it's such a powerful movement and a powerful moment in Baltimore history. Is there anything else you wanted to expound on, on what we were just talking about? Um, no, I mean, I mean, the main thing is the ceasefire. Just seeing it um, come to life was a beautiful thing. I, I remember us having a conversation. I remember her being excited. I remember letting her know that she had to be the face of it and, and how quick it was going to move. And I just give thanks to, I mean, that everything kind of really panned out the way it did. And like you mentioned, now we're into a rebranding stage, which we can talk about if we find, if, if you have time. Yeah, definitely. And, and the only thing that I thought is that it would be great. Um, I, I wish I was as talented with the um, statistics and everything that uh, computer programming as Peter Phelan, our co-author on that paper. But it would be so interesting to go look at those no stabbing weekends you talked about Um and uh, and and look at what kind of difference that made because I, I'm sure you know when, when we saw that 50% decrease we were just blown away we knew it was meaningful but um I don't think we really believed I didn't believe myself almost um uh, until maybe that there was that uh, 12 days or so after that first February ceasefire where there were no shootings the first time since before uh, Freddie Gray had been right. killed um, um but yeah so you know the, the ceasefire and iconography. Right. It has to do. It's a response to violence. It's a response to firearms. There's a firearm in um, the logo. If people go online and look up Baltimore ceasefire. So w what did it mean um, to to drop that iconography that had resonated really with the whole city and shown progress um, and then take up a new iconography and a, a new name and kind of a new purpose or at least a new inspiration uh, with the Baltimore peace movement? Right. I think, um, in short, like Baltimore ceasefire, even the gun, 
it's it, it had a lot more um, shock value, right? Um, when people from the community heard it, they kind of thought like, oh, they want this to stop. They want this to stop. So it kind of kind of ushered in an urgency of enough is enough. Let's let's discuss this. Let's make this more of a conversation. Um, so even when people were saying it, it wouldn't work, um, my balance would always be that I've been around young people or seen people pass a flyer on their cars or seen somebody see a sign and seeing their natural response. So I've seen two dudes go back and forth. You see this, you see this, you see this nonsense. And the other dude literally say, well, I ain't gonna lie. I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired of that stuff too. Right. So we, we've seen this behind the scenes as far as the reaction. Um, then when you, when we go into the rebranding, we just want to kind of stand on the other side of what we stand for and what we want. Um, so the Baltimore ceasefire is kind of pulsating the energy or the vibration of what we don't want. And then Baltimore Peace Movement is standing on exactly what we do want. So when we're having those weekends together and we're, we're painting and we're, and, and we're running around in the grass, um, chasing each other, we're playing basketball, we're, we have the water gun fight, we, whatever we're doing, it's like we're standing in our purpose for what we're doing. So even when it comes um, to resources and the, the job, the things we do in the job market as far as finding people jobs, like all of the things that we bring to the table as individuals, um, even on our personal time, you saving people's lives in, in, in real life, right? In real time, like all of these things are that peaceful uh, vibration that we all stand on each day as much as possible. Um, so I think it was a, a easy transition. Um, I think it wasn't, it was something that we were ready to do, but we had to make it a whole formal thing as far as getting other people's opinions, um, getting a new name from the city. And the name that kind of stood out for everybody was the Baltimore Peace Movement, which wasn't that far-fetched because, I mean, it kind of was already that in the first place. And, uh, you know, I, I skipped over in the beginning of the show. Uh, give me a moment, uh, Ogun, to step back. And this is Dr. Sam Fitzgerald on Trauma Code in New York City. And I neglected to even mention that my uh, co-host, my lovely lovely wife, the psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Cassandra Raphael, cannot be in studio today. Uh, but she is uh, feverishly texting me every question that I'm forgetting to ask you, Ogun. Um, <laughs> and uh, so we'll get back to some of those, uh, uh, including some commentary on the introductory song as well. But um, she reminds us uh, that, uh, you know, the Baltimore ceasefire, or I should say that, um, you know, the Baltimore peace movement, I was a little bit anxious about when they talked about um, changing the name and kind of the purpose. And, you know, I don't want to be cheap about it, but the brand... But I really like the Baltimore Peace, Peace Movement. It's a movement. It says what, you know, what we are and what we believe in. But the ceasefire is not going to um, stop being that energy and, and that experience. Um, and what uh, Dr. Raphael was reminding me is that uh, Baltimore Ceasefire gear is on sale for like a fire sale. All of the old branded stuff is like $7 for sweatshirts or something crazy. So go online if, if you're out there and interested and get yourself a Baltimore Ceasefire uh, uh, gear while you still can. Um, but uh, the you other log on to ceasefiremerch. I'm sorry, cease. What is it? Ceasefire merch, right? Ceasefire merch. Maybe not. Log on to the website, um, BaltimorePeaceMovement.com, and you'll see the apparel. Um, the apparel link. Sorry about that. No problem. No. And uh, Dr. Rafael also didn't want to let me just rush right over. Um, you were talking about the work you did in jails. Maybe it's worth thinking about that for another second. Can you just tell us a little bit about what that work was? Yeah, so it's, I'm glad you actually brought that up because it's, it's kind of came full circle as of now. So 
I was working in a jail. I had a, um, I was a job developer or employment specialist, what they actually called it. So my job was to uh, give them the soft skills, the interview skills for when they come home. And this was through Goodwill. And Goodwill still does that type of work, but this had to have been 12 years ago. Um, and to bring that full circle, we now have uh, Beats Not Bullets in the jails. And we've been in the jails since um, last November. It's going very, very well. The response is, is very good. So what I'm doing is we, Beats Not Bullets is a, a music program where it covers engineering, song, writing, and production. So that's what we go in with, and that's what they're attracted to. Um, and right now, we're fine-tuning everything. So when they are released, um, we're going to add a job placement component um, where they'll be able to find employment if they sign up properly. And, and that's what they really want their transition to be, which ideally that is our goal. Um, and that's actually what I do for a 9 to 5. So I work for Baltimore County government as a job developer. So I think it's a very good transition for me personally um, to bring that skill set um, into my nonprofit as well. So, yeah, I've been working in the prisons for a long time, and like I said, full circle, beats not bullets is officially um, inside inside behind the fence. Um, and so, since you brought beats not bullets up, I know um, your work in that kind of that organization mostly uh, with with young people. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, your work with young people with uh, beats not bullets? Yes. So, beats not bullets um, started six years ago. Um, and it's uh, geared towards um, youth in Baltimore City. So our core demographic is high school students, but we do do work with um, middle school students as well. Um, and in short, we take the studio into the school. We take the studio into the after-school program. We take the studio into the group home, right? So we pretty much take all the equipment on site, um, and individuals are able to make production, meaning make beats, able to make songs and record them, hear them back. We'll email it to everybody so they can have it when they leave. Um, so it's just re it's a real good um, feel-good program when it comes to the music aspect. So what we do is we hide the mentorship behind the music, right? So they, they want to come because they're making music, and then we bring in our guest speakers, myself, as well as other people who just want to uh, spread that message to Baltimore youth. And then we, we have a very good retention when it comes to people from six years ago are still attached to the program. We have people from five years ago that are facilitators in the program. Um, so our retention rate is, is very good because they want to come back to record and come to the studio, but they're also coming back to the same people who um, really care about them and are kind of setting them up um, for future th things when it comes to employment. Um, what is, do you want to go to school? Just kind of that long-term retention process of whatever their career goals really are. And how do you recruit, uh, like how many um, young people have you worked with and how do you recruit them? Um, to date, I would say we've, we've definitely probably uh, have experienced maybe 500 to 600 oh. youth have, have experienced the program. Um, what we do mostly is social media, um, but we also do partnerships with schools. So right now we have two schools where we don't have to recruit, well we have to recruit to get people to come. But we're in the schools year year round, and that is at Reach Partnership in Baltimore, and it's another school called Digital uh, Digital Harbor Digital actually Harbor. Um, yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah, it's, right? it's it's interesting. Digital Harbor is sort of the rebrand of Southern High School, which uh, is. Uh, you know, we're on the air in New York City. I don't know how many people know Baltimore geography, but it's on the waterfront, kind of in Federal Hill, just above downtown. Really valuable real estate. Uh, but when I was in high it school, is. that was that was one of the most troubled schools in the city. Um, 
you know, every year there was a different one. It seemed like the the point is that uh, you're you're in the high schools and and things have have changed a lot. Making this music, are there any um, of the artists that you know? Not everyone who does this goes into being a professional recording artist, but are there any uh, whose work uh, who, or whose accomplishments uh, working with you are you really proud of? Um, I would say two producers in particular. Um, they have been placed on a lot of projects. Um, one artist, his name is, I would say his name a little weird, but it's, I, I believe it's pronounced Jen Jenner. Jen Jenner. Maybe that's not how to pronounce it. Um, but it's a, it's a song called Susu. And one of our students has a production credit on that song, which is huge. That's a very huge artist. And then in general, they have these two um, individuals in particular um, have, have placements um, here in the city as well as throughout throughout uh, like the DMV area. So that name is, is definitely growing. Then we have students who are still kind of growing their catalog as far as um, their skill level as far as being an actual artist. Um, but we've had artists um, that have performed at South by Southwest last year, um, opened up for uh, Big Daddy Kane. So we're, we're definitely giving them an experience to remember. Like I remember us flying there to um, South by Southwest, following around with the cameras and everybody just wondering who they were. Um, so they're definitely getting that star-studded experience when they're in the program. And uh, when when I was going through some of the media work that you and your team have done in the past, I came across uh, Tay Bands and some of her um, of her work. Um, I was going to play one of Tay Bands' song, No Cap. Um, anything you wanted to say about that? Well, um, it's a pretty old song, so she probably has some other stuff, but you can definitely play it. Um, as far as Tay Bands, I think she's the perfect example of someone who takes leadership well, meaning she like she comes in and she brings her notepad. Um, and I think she's the perfect example of someone who's a team player. So she's a manager at a local uh, ice cream parlor here in the city. Of, I believe it's down near Fells Point. Um, so she encourages our students once they graduate or once they get uh, as of age, um, she wants them to come down and interview so they can get a job. So she's been a very big uh, part of just that alumni. We really stress having some great alumni. She has her own um, her own uh, showcase now. It's called BU. You can follow that on Instagram. And it's actually just called BU. Um, and she's been doing very good. The, the mayor actually showed up to our last showcase, and it's only her third one. Um, so she's doing very well, still recording, still planning to put out music this year. Um, so I would just say she's definitely a key player um, and, and very strong alumni. She has, she's been actually helping us with some um, presentations inside the schools as well as for us showing up as an uh, assistant instructor. Excellent. So, uh, Reggie, why don't we t uh, tee up that Tay Band song, No Cap. Uh, and you are listening to Trauma Code on WBAI in New York City. Why you kept like that? Kept on the grind, you ain't living like that. Them songs you post ain't hitting like that. Don't hit my lines, I ain't calling you back. I'm doing just fine. I run up them checks. Chase what's mine. Stacks on stacks. I got stacks on stacks. I got them stacks on stacks. I'm who they trying to be and really look like that. Don't got time to see cause I ain't rich yet. My style ain't cheap, man, you know how I get. I'm queens my feet, I confess like that. No IG feet, man, you know where I'm at. Me versus me, I'm really stepping on that. Yeah. I'm gonna try me, I'm the one that's up next. Who's uh. by myself, I don't got some friends. When it all go left, you ain't right to the end. If my dog, I'll do it again. I ain't counting no favors, yeah, we get to the end. I'm better my mode, I ain't never gonna miss. Fully my zone, yeah, I swear I won't quit. I know I'm gonna blow, I'ma take every risk. Anything that come my way, cause I'm ready for it. Then they all after me, and I'm sending it real happily. Put them bands coming in, and it's stacking up rapidly. I'm in my own lane, so why you really? 
It's the sweat for me. I'm just doing what's best for me. If you ain't really by my side, then why you standing next to me? I don't got time to waste no time. And I'm saying that real respectfully, cause I've been on my grind. Man, this music is my destiny. Welcome back to Trauma Code on WBAI in New York City. This is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald uh, in studio uh, on the line with uh, Ogun from Baltimore. And we were just listening to uh, one of the graduates of his Beat Not, uh, Beats Not Bullets program. And correct me if I say anything wrong, Ogun. I'm just trying to do it right. Uh, and that was Tay Bands mm-hmm. and her song, No Cap. Um, so uh, thanks again for joining us, Ogun. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about uh, your uh, work. Um, you know, how is that work with youth um, in recording studios and other things? How is that different and how is that similar to working in the jails with this same uh, concept of Beats Not Bullets? Okay, so it's definitely way different, <laughs> right? Because we're in the jail. Like, I want to be very clear. We're in the jail. Um, and I'm excited about that because... Um, I think me being in the jails before years ago, like I was in the jail probably for like five years, 10 years ago, I probably did it for like five years straight. Um, So I know the dynamic, I know how it feels, I know how the inmates think. So it's kind of really prepared me um, for that interaction. And, And like I said, the program has been received very, very well. And currently the waiting list is like over 200 and 300 people, right? Um, so that's a beautiful thing. Um, but when it comes to the youth program, um, the, the whole focus of the youth program is for them not to go to jail, right? <laughs> right? Um, so that's the whole other side of the coin. Um, but when it comes to the youth, I have to stress, I have to stress the fact that I've seen, I've seen the, I've seen the one, the youth who is already inspired, right? And then I've seen the youth who is quote unquote in the street. Um, so there is a mixture of all, so everybody is welcome in the program. Um, but the, the real focus of the program is for the person who has stopped dreaming, who, for the purpose, who have, who's kind of given up hope. And then it's nothing like meeting a youth where someone wants to harm them. Yeah. And that's just a whole nother conversation. We don't have to go too deep into it. But when a youth comes to you knowing someone wants to harm them, like that's when they're at their most vulnerable spot. And that's when they need all of the the energies surrounding them when it comes to love, um, resources and options and and better thinking skills when it comes to their decision making. Um, So we've kind of just seen everybody on different levels when it comes to the youth. Um, And I just love the program, bro. Like I don't have any children, um, so I really (laughs) treat um, all of my students like my children. Like I want them to win. I need them to win. I tell them that every time we talk. Um, and we just try to give them all the resources to kind of see that they do have options. Um, my main focus is to give them a compass. I, I went through a program called Rites of Passage, and I'll wrap this up. I went through a, a, a program called Rites of Passage as a youth. Okay. I went through a program called Rites of Passage as a youth. It was an African Senate program, um, and it was a national program. So we got, we got uh, times where we could take trips to different programs, and they would have retreats. And it was, it changed my life, right? And then I'm not going to say that after I completed the program, I never made a bad decision, right? But after I completed the program, it's kind of like I felt like I had a compass in my pocket that I could always pull out. Even if I put it away, I can always go find that compass and get my, get straight, get my mind back together. And I think um, Beast Not Bullets does exactly that. Like we give them a clear compass 
of you go this way, <laughs> these are the results. You go this way, these are the results. You go this way, like we just give them a clean, a, a clear compass that they can always pull back out. And like I said, our retention has been phenomenal. I can't stress it enough. It has been phenomenal. Like students text me all the time. They want to get in the studio. They want to perform. How do you do this? Can you help me set up my ASCAP? Like whatever those little questions are, are the questions that give me the opportunity to say, but how is school, right? Um, and then lastly, I'll leave it on one um, individual. His name is Big T. Um, that's what we call him, Big T. So Big T came to the program because he was disrespecting his mother disrespecting his teachers, not doing well in school, came to the program one time. And I usually, if it's an extreme example, I'll do the program at a studio, but it will just be me and it'll just be them getting to the studio. Long story short, he goes home the first time. His mother texts me and says, thank you, my baby is smiling again, right? That was the first day that he left. And then from there, he came back to the Saturday program and he, he definitely made some, some songs, but songs isn't his thing. Football is, right? So then he got back into football. Now he's going better in school. And he just got a scholarship to Virginia Tech. And wow. that is huge, man. Like, like it's just a beautiful thing just seeing someone come where they feel like they have run out of options, right? And then you open up a door of love and encouragement. Because a, a lot of children, they, they aren't receiving love and encouragement. They're not going home to love and encouragement. And I, I just think this program um, is special to me, man. It's definitely special to me. Well, and, and that's, um, you know, what I was talking about, spiritual infrastructure that Ceasefire has put into place. You know, that's how I appreciate your work uh, with these kids as spiritual infrastructure that, like you said, the vulnerable youth can fall back on. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about the, the situation that we almost don't want to speak about where we know people are harming children. There's so many children murdered every year in Baltimore. Um and yeah. a lot of them are in a position where they're out on their own. So, you know, we're that's part of what we try to do on Trauma Code is look these things in the eye and, and how are we going to deal with them. So um, I do want to be appreciative of, of your work with Beats Not Bullets uh, and that kind of spiritual infrastructure. Um, and I don't know if you want to speak on it, but I, I also know that uh, you've spoken publicly about your experiences with violence and, and how, you know, you responded to that in a key moment of your life that could have turned out really differently. Yeah, um, I don't know what story you heard, but the, the probably the biggest one is I was actually shot, right? So I, I believe I was 16 or so, um, and this was me making bad decisions, like, right? I, I, was, I was actually trying to bully someone. Um, I was showing off of my friends. I was all ego. Long story short, it was, it was Father's Day. My mother, father, sister are leaving to go eat. They say, come on, what are you doing? I make up a whole story. Ma, I got to go to the, the rec to sign up for such and such. Just made up a whole story. They leave. I go back outside. The whole community is there wanting to see me uh, bully this person, right? Um, so I was making a bad decision. Long story short, um, his uncles show up. I'm thinking that they're going to be grown men and probably scare me or maybe fight me or just chase me or something. But they came up the street and they didn't have anything to say. They said, do you have a problem with my nephew? I said, yes. And why? I, I attempted to tell him why. And he didn't have any more words. He started shooting at everyone. And it was slow motion. 
and I, and I was hit. Um, thank, thankfully, it went through two of my fingers. Um, I, I ran and I came back around. And when I came back around um, in back of the ambulance, it was the sight of my mother's face. So I'm in, I'm in the back. Everyone is kind of gathered around, but I don't see him. But then my mother puts her face on the glass. And that look in her face changed my life forever. Like, honestly, like everything I do, and I say it proudly, I do for my mother. Like, I want my mother, when she hears my name come up, I want her to smile. I want her to say, that's my baby. Because when I seen her face, she was so confused, so uh, sad, so frustrated. She didn't, like her face said all emotions besides happy, right? Um, so just seeing that her face that day um, was a major impact on all of the work that I do, like honestly, because it was just that that small decision of me thinking it was funny to bully this person. Now, in my thought process, I thought I, it was warranted because he did, quote unquote, disrespect someone, right? But just not having <clears throat> those social skills and that communication skills to get past that, it could have cost me my life. And then I wouldn't be here, man. <laughs> like, you wouldn't know me. <laughs> what would life be like? I'm just joking. But the main thing is, I wouldn't be here, bro, off of off of just a very quick, bad decision. Um, so I really give thanks um, uh, for, for my second chance. And that's why most of my time is dedicated to this type of work, like, honestly. Yeah, and, and I don't want to over-dramatize your experience, but... Um, something I have appreciated is how much survivorship um, influences the leadership, uh, particularly in the Baltimore ceasefire, the, the founding, you know. Um, and it just, I think there's a lot of trauma and survivorship in a city like Baltimore that goes sure. unspoken a lot. Um, so, uh, you know, this is a space to kind of, uh, for people to be there for each other in those moments. Um, and, you know, and then stories come out of that and, and hopefully, um, you know, stories of survival. Um one thing I did want to go back on a little bit is just ask, in your work with the jails, have you been in touch with uh, other groups that do um, audio production work in the jails? I'm thinking of Ear Hustle out of San Quentin, and I'm sure there are others. No, not yet. So I'm actually just starting to do um, my research because we we actually don't have – we. Well, our nonprofit, our nonprofit is called Dream Bigger Community Institute. Um, so we we had a very good year last year as far as like raising money. But the um, the prison program is not attached to any budget. We're making it work. Um, so I just really started um, sitting down, starting to do my research, and like you said, one of those questions that came up is who else is doing this. Um, so that's definitely something that I'll be focusing on in the next. Um, uh, 30 to 60 days as far as really getting a better understanding of the playing field as far as who else is doing it and then where potential funds are to do it because currently we're just going in every other week meaning um, ideally every bi-weekly um, but they already are requesting us to come every week um, which definitely stretches the budget so my first goal is to, to secure funding just for the jail and then from there to kind of do that research like you mentioned as far as um, who else that you um People that you yeah. mentioned that are already doing it. So if you, if you can help me in that journey, oh, yeah, no, maybe no, you already know some people that's doing it. This I would be love my, to, um, this can be, pick their ears. This can be my recommendation for everybody, yourself included, and I'll say it now instead of waiting for the end, is there's a um, a podcast that's also distributed on NPR called Ear Hustle that's run out of San Quentin. Um, and... Uh, 
I forget the name. A couple of guys have since gotten paroled or got out, and now there's a mix of people producing it on the inside and the outside. Have graduated from the program, um, but I'm sure if, if you if you're if you're investing in the work like you describe, within a couple of years they'll probably be um, airing your your productions on their on their show. I have no doubt. Um, so yeah, definitely look that up. It's called Ear Hustle. I got it. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And uh, anything else that that uh, you want to talk about you know you talked a little bit about uh, it takes funding to do this but anything else you want to talk about what it takes to do this work and what you need to succeed in, in these in these programs you're describing um i'll have to say that you really have to care right um i think everyone should want to do great work but sometimes they they are they want to get involved with certain type of nonprofit work because they want to make money <laughs> um and it's not like their heart is in it. Um, so I, I just stress the fact that if you do work similar to Ceasefire, Beats Not Bullets, like whatever your thing is, um, it's, it's funny because I'm, 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 I'm 46 years old and I used to always hear people say, find something to do that you would do for free, right? And, I, and it would always, I would always hear it. But it's actually only sunken in probably over the last two years. I'm looking around like, hey, I'm actually doing things that I would do for free, right? So it's like my main job is to find people jobs. So when, when my cousin calls me, he wants a job, like I want to help him find a job. When my friend calls me, hey, man, can you update my resume? I do that for free. So I'm actually doing things. I would mentor you for free, right? Um, so I just think it's your heart should be really in it because if it's not, there's a small disconnect. And when it comes to youth, just speaking for my playing field, when it comes to youth, like they, <laughs> they have the lie detector test, right? <laughs> like they don't hold their words. If you make them feel a certain way, if you, you make them feel judged, they just won't come back. Right. So, um, just being able to retain youth is, I don't, I don't think it's an easy task, but I think if your heart is really in it, then they're going to recognize that because I don't think they're getting enough interactions with people who genuinely care for them because um, they have people who are putting them in harm's way that are saying that you're my brother. Now take this gun and handle that. You're my brother. Here's a couple dollars. Now take this gun and handle that. You hungry? Here's some food. Take your mother out to eat with this. Now take this gun and handle that, right? So it's like almost a confusion that they have. Um, so to erase or at least balance that confusion, I just stress the fact that please have your heart in the right place if you step into the nonprofit arena. Excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd mentioned uh, earlier in some of that uh, work with uh, Beats Not Bullets uh, that one of your, I guess, alumni was uh, traveling to South by Southwest recently. Do you want to talk about that, um, those accomplishments and those experiences just a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, briefly, um, uh, Beats Not Bullets was, was, yeah, cause it was last year, um, 2022. South by Southwest is one of the biggest music uh, conferences, period, I believe. And, um, we went down and uh, one of our students, he went down to perform. We actually won the Community Service Award that year, um, last year, so that was huge as well. Um, but I, I can't stress the fact of, of course I had a good time, right? But his experience, so I always try to look through their lens 
to create things for their lens, right? Um, I think youth, young, young, younger people in general, sometimes don't get to experience anything out of their regular um, everyday life, right? So if they got to go to school, they, they go down, they go down the street, they get on the bus or they get a ride, they get out, they come back, go to the corner store. It's like, it's, it's like a, 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 a like a, a on repeat type of cycle, right? Um, so to change their lens and show them different things, I think it's, it's just the best thing ever. So it's really about increasing the experience. Um, so this was his first time on the plane. Um, he had his own room. Obviously, he's monitored, but he had his own room. Um, just him being followed around by cameras, him taking pictures in front of the big, the big billboards and the backdrops, right? Him being interviewed, um, us booking him studio time just for himself that weekend and he's meeting people and telling them who he is. So just him having that experience give, gives him that compass that I was talking about where when he might get distracted in all of his troubles or his his uh, him navigating as a, as a younger person, 16, 18 years old, he always will have these experiences. So you know what? I seen this. I did do this. So it's really just about, I think that, that trip was a big component of just offering youth with the best experience possible, no matter if it's there or if it's going rock climbing, if it's going to the movies, if it's getting written some cars and taking them on a, just a, a general field trip to the park. So whatever those experiences are, like our program, even um, uh, Baltimore Peace Challenge, the experience is what it's really about, right? Like me meeting certain people, like um, another friend of mine, name is uh, Cody, a uh, teacher here in Baltimore City. I would never know Cody without the Baltimore Peace uh, Movement, right? So it's like our friend. We have a real friendship now, right? So it's really about those experiences where you're bringing people together, and then what that blooms into. So you can kind of step away from it, and other things just naturally grow. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's really about just those experiences that will bring people together and then you can kind of step away and, and, and let God take his course from there and then plant some more seeds over here and then start another experience over here. Like that's, that's really my goal. My goal personally is about what other people experience, um, when they obviously attend my program, but, in, in, but to be very honest, when they come around me, I want them to leave with, with an experience. Excellent. Um, and this is uh, uh, Trauma Code on WBI in New York City. Uh, this is Dr. Simon Fitzgerald on the phone uh, with uh, Ogun of the Baltimore Peace Movement, formerly Baltimore Ceasefire, uh, as well as Beats Not Bullets, an a, a, a important program that uh, we've just been talking about. Ogun, anything else that, that you want to uh, mention that we haven't uh, touched on? Um, I think we've... Covered a lot of, a lot of <laughs> we, stuff. We covered man. a lot. I'm, I'm, oh. I feel like it was. I mean, it was a pretty good interview. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know if you got any more last. If you got any last minute questions, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, well, well, definitely one of them. Um, I always like to get cultural recommendations, uh, books, movies, music, um, performance art, visual art, um, to share with my audience that you might not otherwise. And I already talked about um, that. Uh, 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 podcast based in uh, San Quentin Ear Hustle um, and we also mentioned that, that uh, Baltimore Ceasefire shirts are on sale uh, I think it's ceasefireshop 
dot com or Ceasefire. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Raphael, yeah. my co host is texting me since she's not in studio, so that's why I'm getting some of these updates. Um, ceasefireshop.com is exactly what it is. That's what it is. Um, do you have any recommendations that you want to share with us beyond what we've already talked about? Um I would say just kind of off of what you mentioned, um, I think that uh, people should monitor their intake in general of like what you're taking in on a daily basis, right? Like what you're listening to and for what reasons, right? And then like say if I'm going to the gym, I, I might put on something different, right? But in general, what are we intaking? Um, and I, I, I've really been on like the last four years, maybe five years, just the, um, the art of manifesting um, what you want in your life, like the, the law of attraction, um, those type of uh, concepts. I think that they are real. I think it takes time to to kind of um, to kind of facilitate the real energy that it takes for it to work in a in a in a genuine positive way. Um, but I really would suggest everyone um, to create the world that you want to see. Like, just don't live in it. Just don't live in the world. Create the world that you want to see, even if if it's in your small radius. Um, I think that's very important. Wow, excellent. Well. Um Thank you for joining us, Ogun. It's, uh, uh, I'm very uh, pleased and, and honored to, uh, to be your friend and uh, colleague, and it's been a pleasure to have you on the air. All right, man. I can't wait till you come back in town and give us that invite as well. We'll come on up. Excellent. Yeah, anytime. You're welcome in the studio in Brooklyn. Uh, and, of course, you've been listening to Trauma Code on WBAI in New York City. Um, and we're going to be... Uh, Ending the show in a little bit uh, with a little bit more of De La Soul, uh, honoring the passing of David uh, Jellicoe, uh, who I'm probably mispronouncing that. Uh, my wife reminds me uh, proudly that he is also the Haitian, the Haitian member of De La Soul. Um, but uh, we're going to be listening to uh, I Know uh, by them. But of course, you know, uh, we still, as always, uh, need your support. If you appreciate Trauma Code, we appreciate you. Uh, and uh, we need to pay the bills to keep the station going. So please uh, give online at give2wbai.org. That was the number two, give2wbai.org, or just on wbai.org, and that pledge line is 212-209-2950. And thank you for listening to Trauma Code on WBAI.
stands to introduce myself as the chosen one to speak. Let me lay my hand across yours and aim a kiss upon your cheek. The name's Pluck 2, and from the soul I bring you the daisy of your choice. May it be filled with the pleasure principle in circumference to my voice. About those other jennies I reckoned with, lost them all like a homework excuse. This time the magic number is two, cause it takes two, not three to seduce. My destiny of love is brought to an apex. Sex is a mere molecule in this world of lust that I have for you. It's true, true. I drove a New York City bus for 32 years. And I get the flu shot every year. When my doctor recommended it, I got the new COVID booster. Certain diseases change over time, especially this one. I'm not taking any chances with my life or with my family's life. I'm just not. If it's going to keep me from being sick, I'm all in for it. The booster works. The booster saves lives. I'm a senior citizen. The COVID booster gives me the protection that I need. I will not let COVID stop me from living my life. For more information, visit nyc.gov slash vaccine finder or call 877-VAX-4NYC.
that message brought to you by the New York City Department of Health. This is WBAI New York. This is Dr. Ron Daniels, president of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century. April 19th through the 23rd, all roads lead to Baltimore, State of the Black World Conference 5. Organized around the theme, Global Africans Rising, Empowerment, Reparations, and Healing, to address eight major issue areas. Reimagining policing, gun violence, and fratricide, gentrification, environmental justice, water as a human right, socially responsible entrepreneurship, making black lives matter, the role of hip-hop in the black freedom struggle, and building the U.S. and global reparations movement. The who's who of black America and the pan-African world will be in Baltimore, April 19th to the 23rd, for one of the great gatherings of black people of the century. To check out the amazing program and take advantage of discount registration, go to the website, ibw21.org. That's ibw21.org. Hello, WBAI listeners. I'm Paulina Vasiliev, co-executive producer of Pacifica Radio's COVID, Race, and Democracy. Tune in for the program Mondays at 4 p.m. on WBAI as we explore solutions to the many crises we're facing. The crisis of the global pandemic, racist police violence and U.S. militarism, and the crisis of democracy. That's COVID, Race, and Democracy, Mondays at 4 p.m. on WBAI New York. Don't miss it. And please support WBAI with a generous donation. The website is give to wbai.org. Now more than ever, we need free and independent media. So if you have already donated to WBAI, we thank you. This is Mike Sargent with This Day in Racial Injustice. On this day, February 27th, back in 1869, Congress voted against seating John Wills Menard, the first black man ever elected to the House of Representatives. James Garfield, then a member of Congress who later became president, confirmed the decision. He argued that it was too early to admit a Negro to the U.S. Congress. And he said that the seat should be declared vacant and the salary of $5,000 saved. By this vote, Mr. Menard was barred from ever being seated and his constituents denied their chosen representative and all representation until the following election. John Menard was a poet, a newspaper publisher, and a politician. He won at least 64% of the vote in a special election held in Louisiana's 2nd Congressional District, New Orleans, in November 1868, after the incumbent died. Despite an overwhelming victory, his election faced fierce opposition led by Caleb S. Hunt, the white man who lost the election. The House Committee on Elections held a hearing to decide whether or not to seat Mr. Bernard, and the debate then moved to the entire House on February 27th. During the debate, Mr. Menard became the first black man to speak on the floor of the House of Representatives. While Mr. Hunt's claims of protest against elections validity were defeated convincingly by the House, Congress refused to seat Menard by a vote of 130 
to 57 because he was a black man. In the early years of Reconstruction after the Civil War, black men were able to exercise their vote for the very first time. By the time of John Willis Menard's election in 1868, in 10 of the 11 former Confederate states, approximately 80% of eligible black men were registered voters. Consequently, many black officials, particularly in the South, where black populations were much larger, were elected into public office. But these officials faced fierce opposition and backlash from white people desperate to maintain a racial hierarchy. Throughout the South, white Southerners turned to violence, mass lynchings, and lawlessness in order to suppress and intimidate black voters who were seeking to express themselves lawfully at the ballot box. White officials in the North and West similarly rejected racial equality, codified racial discrimination, and occasionally embraced the same tactics of violent control seen in the South. This has been This Day, February 27th, in Racial Injustice from the Equal Rights Initiative. And this is listener-sponsored WBAI. New York.